and so in related in relationship to riding and competition goals and riding goals and us enjoying riding and wanting to ride more trust me I love riding I love going on trail rides I love I would like to get back to competition one day I want to try competing in western dressage and ranch riding and some other stuff I one of my dreams is to do eventing I for you guys that don't know I'm longtime hunter jumper competitor and dressage competitor at um, state levels and was going bigger but that's a whole nother story um, I I miss that sometimes but I just I I value my relationship with my horse more than I miss the competition world and honestly I don't even miss it that much as much as I thought I would um, I think I do love riding though and I, I ride all the time not as much as maybe you would think um, a professional rider or trainer, I should say, a professional trainer rides uh, where they get on and they ride like 10 to 20 horses a day. I don't ride that much because I value a lot of groundwork. I value, um, I do, well, I should say I, one of my big focuses, my priorities is on, um, he's on uh, behavioral modification and, and trauma work and all that. So a lot of what I do isn't centered around riding for that purpose, not because the horses are choosing not to be ridden and stuff like that. I just, I, I really find a lot of joy in doing that other work. So that's what I focus my time on. Hey there, I'm glad you're back for another episode of the TWE podcast. If the audio is a little bit off, I apologize. I'm usually driving in my car when I record these episodes, so I try and keep them as clean as possible, but sometimes I can't help it. (laughs) Hopefully this episode is really helpful and inspires either um, questions or just a thought process, and I would love to hear back from you about how this podcast episode or my podcast episodes in general have impacted your life and your relationship with your horse if you feel like you'd like to share. You can always check out more information about The Willing Equine on my website, thewillingequine.com, where I talk about different things on my blog, I share about my social media platforms, and I also offer training services and things like my foundation course, which runs every three months. So if you'd like to learn more, head to my website. Otherwise, keep listening or actually, you know what, wait till after the episode to check out my website um, because I would love for you to listen to this episode and I'd love to hear back from you on it. So keep listening and I hope you enjoy. So who wants to talk about riding with positive reinforcement? I got this question not too long ago from a new student of mine and um, she was saying that she wanted or she was requesting that I talk about riding with positive reinforcement focused training and how she'd wished that it was talked about more and that there were more resources available about it Um, and she wanted to kind of hear me talk about it so here I am. Um, so first let's get the big question out of the way. Can you ride with positive reinforcement? Absolutely. Yes, you can ride with positive reinforcement. Does it look the same? No. Is it, um, is it going to get you to competition levels and be able to do things like barrel racing and show jumping and endurance rides and all of that? Possibly. It, it depends. It depends on a lot of factors. So, and, and honestly, you know, 
I've, I've written about this before on my blog. I've written an article called um, Competition and the Autonomous Horse. And I've also written another one about riding with R+. And so you can also reference those blog articles. They go into some aspects a little bit more detailed. But first, I guess, you know, we'll, we'll set the competition stuff aside for later. We'll talk about that at the end of the podcast and kind of my take on it. Um, and then, well, but first we'll talk about what it looks like to ride with positive reinforcement. I think a lot of people get concerned because they see a lot of stopping, right? So we, we click, the horse comes to a stop, we take them their food. How are you supposed to ride for any length of time if your horse is constantly stopping for food? Um, this is different, obviously, than negative reinforcement training where there's no stopping unless you've cued a halt and then it's just a temporary um, behavior that has been cued and then you, there's the release from pressure at that point. You, you sit down into your seat and, and, you know, and then you can gently pull back on the reins or say whoa or whatever your set of cues are to indicate to the horse that it is time to come to a stop. And then you release those cues, so pulling back on the reins or whatever it is, um, to indicate that the horse has successfully accomplished the behavior that you were looking for. So you apply the pressure and then you release it. This is negative reinforcement. And you achieve a halt that way. And the halt, while the horse is in that halt, halted position, um, should alleviate or be a continuation of the release from that pressure. So it's kind of like a temporary release from activity, um, from forward movement at least, and also from uh, from pressure. But it is not rest, right? So a halt doesn't equal rest, and there's still criteria involved. It's still a behavior that's being performed. Um, there are, however, you know, certain types of riding where often the rider sits on the horse for extended periods. Um, in a more restful position, but I would also argue that this in itself is not true rest for the horse. It's not true release because the horse is still expected just to stand there. If they were to start moving, um, then they would, then pressure would be increased or they might even be punished for moving forward or backwards or sideways or whatever it is, or trying to eat grass, right? So there are still, there's still criteria built into this behavior, even though it may look more restful than, you know, running a barrel pattern. It is still a behavior that we have criteria centered or built around and uh, that we expect the horse to perform. So it's not truly restful for the horse and it's also not a behavior um, that has autonomy uh, or the horse doesn't have autonomy in that situation. So it's not a complete relief from pressure. There's still that like expectation there, right? Built in, which is perfectly fine. There's nothing wrong with that, but I just wanted to clear that up that the that a halt is not rest, that a halt is, um, is a behavior that is being performed to a certain cue set and has a criteria around it. So all of this shows us that the halt for um, positive reinforcement is very much the same, that there's criteria, that it is a behavior being performed, that there are certain cues involved in such. Now the click um, a click is for with positive reinforcement. We've been, you know, I'm sure you guys have heard all this before, but maybe not. So I'll briefly go through it. The click is both a indicator that reinforcement is about to happen. So um, it's it 
creates or it tells the horse's brain that positive reinforcement is about to occur. So this would make it a secondary reinforcer. In some senses, there's arguments about this, but um, it lets the horse know that positive reinforcement is about to occur. So it is reinforcing a little bit on its own. Um, but what it really is, in my opinion, and in a lot of other people's opinions, is that it's a cue to the horse that they should come to a stop to get their reinforcement. So instead of come to a stop for the release from pressure, whatever like that, it's a cue that says, um, it's time to come to a stop so I can bring you your food so you can get your positive reinforcement. So it's a, it's a cue. So the click is a cue. And that was a long way to come to that conclusion. A click is a cue to the horse that it's time to receive the reinforcement. Um, so when we're riding, oh, and so the cue is also though a marker. This is a really important part. The cue is a, or the click is a marker that uh, about what it was that received that positive reinforcement. So they're trotting along and we see the perfect trot moment, right? And we click it and they're like, yes, got it. And they come to a stop so they can receive the reinforcement because remember the click is a cue to come to a stop to get your reinforcement because I don't know if you've tried it, but trying to feed a horse at a trot while you're on their back is basically impossible. So you have to do it at a, from a stop. And, um, and it takes also, that takes a certain skill set as well, because the horse needs to learn how to receive the reinforcement by turning their head to their side. The rider needs to be flexible enough to bend forward to give the horse their food in a forward position that's not too uncomfortable for the horse. And um, they need to remain in balance during that process. Horses that have suffered from neurological stuff like EPM can struggle with that a little bit. And, or if the rider is a little, um, on the bigger side for them, then that can be problematic too. Um, there's a whole bunch of other, or if the horse isn't very strong, maybe they're even underweight, whatever it is, they don't have the muscle development, the stability, the muscles developed, and that can be a challenging thing. But honestly, horses do really, really well with this. I've not had a problem myself with any horse feeding them from the saddle. It's actually quite easy, but I am really tall. So I'm just you know, that kind of gives me an added, you know, I have long arms and a long torso. So that helps me quite a bit, but I do have uh, riders that are shorter that have no problem either. So, um, it's definitely something that can be achieved for, for any rider and any horse. And is not all that challenging to do. It just needs to be taught to the horse. And I usually start teaching this from the ground first. I teach them how to get their reinforcement from the side of them, you know, wrapping their neck around to the side by the shoulder. And then I move to the mounting block and I, you know, pretend I was as if I was riding them and teaching them to bring their head around to receive the food where a rider might give it to them. And before I move into the saddle, and I actually have a YouTube video about this, if you want to watch that. Uh, and I don't remember what it's titled, unfortunately, but if you search my YouTube channel, you should be able to find it quite quickly. And that's the willing equine on YouTube. So, um, so the click marks the moment that we see the behavior that we, we like and we wanted, and then they cues them to come to a stop to get the reinforcement in the way that we've taught them to, which is at a stop, wrapping their neck around to receive their reinforcement from the rider. And we're specifically talking about a rider reinforcement behavior um, series versus on the ground. On the ground, you wouldn't have the neck wrap around, you'd have it straight in front of the body, in front of the chest. So there's a big difference there. Um, so you have to specifically teach that. So 
if every time we see a nice trot and we click it every single time, as you can imagine, we wouldn't spend very much time trotting. We would actually spend quite a bit of time stopping, feeding our horses, right? So this is where an understanding of building duration in behaviors or building up criteria in behaviors comes into play and is really important in how we can go longer in between stopping and giving our horses reinforcement. So when you first start teaching a horse to be ridden under saddle, um, we'll, let's use an easy example. We're teaching him to walk forward under a rider. So I'll, let's pretend I've taught this horse the walk-on verbal cue. They don't have a leg cue yet. They just have the walk-on verbal cue. And this is a real example that I've done with my own horses over and over again, and it's very successful. So I'm, I'm speaking from experience here. Um, so we give the verbal cue from the rider being in the saddle, and we say, walk on, and the horse starts to take a step forward. And because we want to make sure very quickly that the horse understood that that's what we wanted, um, even though maybe on the ground they walk forward five, six, 20, you know, 100 steps, right? Under saddle, it's an, there's a new criteria, it's a new challenge, there's new um, distractions, things like that. So we want to make sure really quickly we know that they are on the right path or they're doing the right thing. So we click, they come to a stop, we reinforce them um, by leaning forward, giving them food beside their shoulder. And then we sit back up again, we collect our reins back up, and we prepare again, and then we cue the walk on again. And um, you might even choose also to click them standing still there because some horses have a tendency to just want to walk forward again and we don't want that either. We want them to remain in what I call a default behavior, so a standing still quietly until cued to do something else. So oftentimes that means that we need to reinforce the standing still. Um, so, and I could go on that for a lot longer, but this is, episode is not about the default behavior. It is about teaching horses under saddle. So, we cue the walk on again, so we say walk on, and this time it's one and a half or maybe two steps. We click and we reinforce. And then we do this whole process over and over again until we have three steps, then we have four steps, then we have five steps, then we have six steps, then we have 20 steps. Obviously all the steps in the middle between the seven steps and the 20 steps, we wanna reinforce those as well. But quickly we build up this criteria, how long the duration that they can continue that walking forward behavior before the click happens and then the stopping and then being reinforced. Then we start to work on other behaviors like can we continue walking forward while I cue a turn, which will have been taught from the ground first. Um, so I turn rain cue or leg cue and they walk forward, let's say four steps and then we cue a um, I use my legs for the turn cue, so an outside leg, and then they make that inside turn, so a left leg, they make a right turn. And um, and then I'll click and reinforce that right away because that was it. That was actually, we were chaining together different behaviors. We were, uh, I, I cued one thing, they did that behavior. And then I cued another thing, and they did that behavior, but this was the first time I had cued another behavior on top of the previous behavior, so I'm gonna click and reinforce that really quickly. Even again, if they have, you know, they're really proficient at doing it on the ground and they can make extensive turns over and over and over again for many, many steps um, before a click and reinforcement. We're doing something new because I have a rider on this time and we're chaining it together with the previous behavior. Now here's the thing. So we might think, but what about the walk? We didn't reinforce the walk, but they did it right. So shouldn't we have reinforced that and then asked for the turn? 
and so then we would have had two clicks we would have had the walking on they walked four steps we clicked to reinforce and then we cued the turn and then we clicked to reinforce that um, two things about this one I only teach those turn cues well okay you want them to be moving forward for that turn cue so it has to be built upon itself just like in traditional riding you need the forward momentum and then you cue the thing on top of it and it creates this nice forward moving bend behavior um, so I do want it to look a lot like my traditional riding as far as I want to you know I want it to not look completely foreign and I do enjoy, I do think there's a rhyme and a reason to why a lot of what has been taught under saddle traditionally is um, beneficial and good. It's just that I'm choosing a different path to teach it how to get to that point, let's say. So the other part of this is, is that because I've taught the turn cue, my leg cue, with positive reinforcement from the ground, that behavior has been associated with positive reinforcement. So by cueing the turn cue after the walk-on cue, I am, in a sense, reinforcing the walk-on cue because I'm doing something else that is reinforcing. So if the walking behavior has been reinforced, it's reinforcing. So cueing the walk-on from the standing still patiently is reinforcing the standing still patiently or just you know, patiently, patiently is a little bit of a, is a label. So we're, I'm going to define them and define it as four feet still in a square ish position with head in front of the chest, quietly standing there with a pleasant expression on the face. So we're, we're standing there quietly. I cue the walk on. I just reinforce the standing there quietly because they got the thing, the next thing that will get reinforced, which is the walk on. So then we're going to, instead of then clicking that walk on, we're going to say, all right, let's do that one more time. We're going to reinforce the walk on with cueing the turn, which will get reinforced. So we've now reinforced the standing still quietly. Then we've reinforced the, um, the walk on, and then we've reinforced the turn. And so this is we're piecing together behaviors. We're reinforcing previous behaviors with new cued behaviors, but here's the thing. They have to be trained with positive reinforcement. They can't be, um, uh, necessarily mixed or with negative reinforcement. So if you cue a, a behavior that is averse, has been trained aversively for the horse after a positive behavior, a, horse, a behavior that's been trained with positive reinforcement, I can't definitively say for every single horse, but technically it shouldn't reinforce the previous behavior because it's not a positively trained behavior. It's, it comes with it's a different set of contingencies. So the thing with this process is it has to be positive reinforcement trained behavior on top of a positive reinforcement trained behavior on top of a positive reinforcement trained behavior and you just keep going. So we can technically build up this Chain, these chains or sequences or just these series, so we'll say series, these series of behaviors on top of each other to be quite a long and extensive process of cueing and reinforcing and cueing and reinforcing before we get to the final click and primary reinforcer, which is the food. And this is how we ride with positive reinforcement. They, um, the, the primary reinforcer gets backed up further and further and further down the series of behaviors that have been taught with positive reinforcement um, so that we're not clicking and reinforcing so often. However, I will say that there will be absolutely times we need to go back and click for 
that standing still, all four feet squarish, with the head in front of the chest, with pleasant expression on the face, and calm and patient, right? We'll need to go back and use a primary reinforcer, so a click and a reinforcement with that fairly, you know, we need to go back and reinforce it so that it doesn't ever lose its value, because they will start really wanting to offer that one behavior that gets clicked and reinforced um, more often than the other ones that don't always get clicked and reinforced. So we need to find balance. Sometimes we cue and we we reinforce it by cueing a different behavior, and sometimes we cue and we reinforce it with a click and food. Or scratches, if your horse really likes scratches, that's another reinforcer for many horses. So, in theory, and it, it's been done, and maybe not quite to a level of you know, competition grade yet, but definitely with other species it's been done. With dolphins, they do this all the time. You know, um, seals, dogs, agility. So agility is a really good example of this. Uh, dog agility, that's where they teach dogs to run a series of obstacles with very specific criteria. They can't jump, they can't knock over the fence rail. Um, it's very much like jumpers, horse jumpers. Uh, they need to go through, um, it's actually probably a little bit more, well, yeah, it's like a combo of like horse jumping and like, like a venting or something like that but they go over different obstacles and they have to go up these big frames and they have to touch their front feet I believe it's just the two front feet to a yellow mark a yellow square at the bottom of these frames so that makes it's a safety precaution so they teach the dogs to complete the object fully without um but they don't want them to jump off the top of the A-frame, so or the dog walk, or the teeter. So they complete these obstacles. They have to touch the bottom of the frames, and they move on to the next one. They have to perform a. Um, they don't obviously know the. the oh, um, what am I even trying to say? Okay, the course is different each and every time. So they're responding to the handler's cues on the fly at a very, very quick, quick rate, like very, very fast. These runs are not long at all. They're very fast. Um, so there's all different types of crosses and different cues and verbal cues and hand gestures and there's no contact with the dog, there's no um, equipment allowed on the dog at all, no leashes, no collars, no shot collars, no nothing. They're just naked dogs running, responding to verbal and uh, visual cues from the handler. Um, and the handler's not allowed to touch the dog either. So, and they have to, it's a very complex course with front crosses and rear crosses and all kinds of stuff, figure eights, and they have to run um, through weave poles where they dodge in and out of these little sticks in the ground that are in a perfectly straight line, which totally messes with the depth perception and like all of that. So it's a very complex process, but these dogs can run the whole obstacle. So originally they're taught, okay, so they can run the whole course without ever being clicked or reinforced. Now the owners will say good boy, good girl, or whatever during the course, which could be considered like a keep going signal, which just basically means like keep going, you're going to be reinforced, the name kind of explains it, right? Um, you're going to get reinforced, you're going to get reinforced, just keep going, keep going, you're awesome, you've got this, keep doing your thing. You, the reinforcement is coming. Um, but really, you know, it's just a long series of behaviors all pieced together until the very, very end where they run back to their crates. They're not even allowed to have food at the end gate. They run back to their, or like they can have toys, but they run back to their um, crates and they'll play tug or they'll get a big jackpot of food. And it's just, the dogs have a blast, right? I used to compete in agility, so um, that's why I'm familiar with it. Um, 
But initially, when you're first starting off with a puppy or an adult dog and then they're just a novice at agility, they, the behaviors are very simple and small. It's, it's can you touch or can you walk down a, a flat plank that looks like um, a dog walk but it's lowered on the ground and touch the yellow square? And, or can you walk beside me? Now can you stay at the start gate? And we click and reinforce just staying, right? We start with the most basic of things, which is just stand there or sit there and don't move. So that would be like the default or a halt. So we have to start there and we click and reinforce every time. And then we build up and then we build up to now can you stay at the end gate and then come to me when I call you, which is for a lot of dogs, one of the most challenging parts of the whole course because they want to just go investigate the dogs that are on the outside of the ring so they, that they can see all these new crazy dogs, the fun dogs, and or they want to go check out the judge, or maybe they're even scared of the judge, which happened to me more than once, I will admit, um, where the dogs want to run over the judge and start barking at them, or they want to bolt out of the arena because they're terrified. So there's there's so many, di- or they start sniffing because the ground smells amazing because there's all these dogs running on it. I mean, they're a very smell-oriented species. So there's a lot of distractions going on. So that stay to a basic come is key. And so we start building these pieces together until eventually we have a full-blown course that we then take to, um, and we start off with this at home in a contained environment where everything is calm and, and we can keep the dog focused and And then we start adding in distractions. Maybe we take it to a group class and then we take it to different fields and then we take it to a parking lot and then we, empty parking lot. Then we take it to a a test trial run kind of thing, not a true competition. And then we take it to an actual competition but we just enter into like a novice level and then we start to work our way up. This same process can and should be used and should work for training horses with positive reinforcement in the same way where we just gradually build up criteria and build up distractions and we start off with the most basic and then we start putting together different behaviors and you know uh, piecing them together having one after another as we cue them and then we get to the end of the round and then it's just this big reinforcement now um there's added levels of complexity here in that Horses are a different species. That's kind of the elephant in the room. Horses are a different species. So maybe some of the things we ask them to do in the competition rings are not realistic for their species uh, when they are not in a fear state. So I'm of, a, I'm of the belief, and I know I'm going to get some hate for this or some people are like, eh, I don't know about that. But just, just think about it. There are, I think, a lot of competitions and stuff that we do that are based off of the horse responding out of a flight response so they're running because otherwise if they don't run fast enough they the spur comes on or the leg kicks harder or the whip comes out right if they don't run fast enough there's a consequence to it and it's not a positive consequence meaning that the the bigger treat comes out if they run faster no it's that things get harsher for them the world gets a little bit scarier for them if they don't run fast enough so these sports depend on in the traditional sense traditional training sense with pressure and release and and use of punishment and stuff um, that that the horses be running through a flight response so we're used to 
competitions where horses are running on a flight response, so their fear, fight, fight, flight, freeze response, right, that's what I'm talking about, um, is on overdrive. And that's how they're winning competitions. And that's what all those horses walking into the arena are running on. So are these competitions going to be possible when there's no more threats of the world getting scarier when they don't run faster? The answer is I don't know. I don't know, and part of me wants to say no, that probably not. Probably knowing the species, knowing who they are, knowing them, that they are a very peaceful species, that they don't really run unless they're in a flight response, um, usually. I'm going to say usually because I have seen some horses. I, I have seen them where they actually do love to run. And that's kind of where I'm going. Or I'm could be considered anthropomorphic saying they love to run. But honestly, I don't have any other explanation for it. And maybe there is another explanation for it. But they seem to find running in itself reinforcing for them. Um, I have one particular horse that just just everybody else is like just chilling, having a good time. And she just seems to just like wants to start running I don't even know and maybe something else is going on I don't know but she seems happy about it she seems to just do it for the fun of it her and her buddies will just start running and having a good time um they're in pastures 24 7 they've got all the forage they would need they've been in a stable herd environment for a long time nothing seems to change that indicates to me that it's a stress response like I say, like I'm trying to tell you that I've really analyzed this and I'm not going to definitively say they do or don't love something um, but it does seem to me that some horses do enjoy things like that. And we've bred them for that, so that's okay. Um, but I think the majority of horses don't, wouldn't actually choose to run a jumper course, let's say, or a barrel racing course on their own without that. If we took away everything, I, I'm sorry if my audio is really messed up here. I'm on a highway, but um, it's very loud. Uh, so... If we took away all threats, as far as there would be no, I would not put the leg on harder. I would not add a spur. I would not add a crop. I would not do anything. I would cue you one time to go forward at a certain gate, like a canter, let's say. I would cue that one time, and you do you. If we took every other possible consequence out of the equation, would they go and do it? I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. I don't think many of them would. And I think if you really thought about it and really thought about your horse's entire learning process and their learning history and what has happened in the past if they didn't run fast enough. Like even maybe now you're not doing anything, but what about in the past? Um, I think you'd probably realize this, come to the same conclusion, but I'm open to considering other options. I just want to, that's just kind of where I'm at right now. I do think though that it is possible to teach horses with positive reinforcement to do a jumper round. Like, I'm not saying that that's not possible. Or a barrel racing round. I think that was absolutely possible. Barrel racing, I think, is one of the most possible competition disciplines out there. Um, because it's a fixed pattern that is short and all of that. I think what is probably not possible, though, without the fear aspect or the flight aspect, is the speed at which it's done. I don't know that horses would choose to run it at that speed. But that's, again, I we're in the infancy, infancy of figuring out what is and is not possible with positive reinforcement um, in training competition horses and horses for sports and stuff like that, and in general. But going back to my original point, 
it's still possible to ride though like all of this is possible all of this is doable all of this is being done I think we don't see a lot of it on a daily basis in social media and all of that we don't see horses in, at competitions um, you know being trained with positive reinforcement because one it's still pretty new so the time it takes to to put in to training this level that to that level with positive reinforcement is quite extensive um, I don't think it's necessarily any more extensive than if we were to do it traditionally the correct way it's definitely going to take longer than if it's the rushed shortcut way um, positive reinforcement is longer than the rush shortcut traditional way um, a lot of handlers are not horse people a lot of horse people handlers trainers are not nearly as experienced in training with positive reinforcement as in a lot of the other competition worlds and other species so like dog agility we've been doing this with agility with dogs for a very 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 long time before they even started considering it for horses so the technology the application knowledge is there for so many people in the dog agility world and it's just barely beginning in the horse world it seems like it's getting better by the day but we just it's just not there yet so that's one of the reasons we're also not seeing it in the competition world um the other the third reason that i have found a lot is that the priorities change when you start looking at the horse as an individual sentient being and and with um when you give them choice and control over their learning experience and all that, we start to focus a lot more on the relationship with the horses and I think competition goals seem less important. That doesn't mean that you can't compete. It doesn't mean that competing is bad. It just means that I think a lot of people choose to not achieve those goals anymore once they've started training with positive reinforcement, like myself. Uh, and I think that's perfectly okay. I don't see any, I mean, we do it because we love horses and we do it because it's for fun no there's no we don't make money at this like we certainly don't um and yeah there's like no money in horses so um you know pressuring somebody into competing their horse when they would just much rather enjoy them out in the pasture is seems really silly to me uh you just anyway yeah so uh, i have a pet peeve about that but so, um, and then I guess one of the last, um, well, I had another point that I wanted to add and now I'm forgetting it. Um, so yeah, so riding, absolutely possible. I think a lot of people just choose not to ride as much. Oh, okay. This was the last point I had. I, I re-triggered it. My brain. Um, choice and control in riding. I think a lot of people get, get worried I know I did oh my gosh oh boy do it did I really get hung up on this like that if I gave my horses a choice to be ridden or not they would never choose to be ridden they would never choose to do um, anything I wanted them to do if I gave them the option then they would just hightail it right and first of all um, that kind of speaks a lot to myself personally and just like my need to control things and also an insecurity I think if we are so worried that our horses will reject us, if we give them the choice, then I really wonder, like, what it is that we're doing. <laughs> like, why are we, I don't know. Like, that, that should be a red flag, right? If, we're, if we can't let go of control because we know or feel deep inside that our horses will reject us, 
and it won't want to do anything with us if we do give him that choice. Um, so we don't give him the choice, but we still say we love him and that they're choosing, to, you know, like, or the, if he didn't want to work, he wouldn't, right? He's big enough, he wouldn't, like... I just, it's all really mixed up. There's a bunch of psychological stuff happening there, and it was happening for myself, and I see it happening for a lot of other people. Um, I think there's deep-rooted issues there. I think we want to control these animals. I think we want to control their expression of love towards us. It's almost like we're, we need them to choose us, to love us, because we say they do, and so we're going to make them do it, because otherwise, what are you know, what are we doing here? Are we even who we say we are? Like, what is, what is the meaning of life? Like, it's all this wrapped up in our self-worth and our understanding of ourselves and this whole thing called horsemanship and being equestrians. And it's just like this big, messy, psychological disaster (laughs) that's happening. Um, I think we should all probably see therapists, but, um, and by the way, I'm just going to put this in there. Do not hesitate to speak to a therapist, even about your equestrian stuff. Like, do it. It's okay. Like, and it's so, so helpful. I've, I've been in therapy myself. Um, just saved my marriage, like all kinds of stuff. It's so helpful. It's just, anyway, it's not a shameful thing. It's not something for just some people. I think everybody should consider that it's necessary for mental well-being, that they should talk to somebody who is a neutral party and who is educated on helping people work through different aspects of their life. Um, But that's just me going on a little bit of a tangent. So back to the choice and control. Um, 100% I can tell you that your horse is if you, the more choice and control you give them in the training, not just in riding, but in everyday life and everything, at first they will say no. At first they will say no, they will say it often, they will say it loud, and they will say it clear, and it will feel terrible. It will feel like you have lost your horse. What is going on? Why do I even have horses? It's going to be a little bit of a wreck. Not for everybody, but for a lot of people. And um, and then they say yes. And the first time they say yes, oh my gosh, it feels so good. It feels so good. And you're just like, okay, I'm, do- I'm doing this. We're doing this. Like, this is, this is possible. And then they start saying yes a lot. And then they don't stop saying yes. And you're like, no, 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 Tiger, I can't ride today. <laughs> and, and it just is this total flip. It's this total switch in your relationship. And, and they will start to say yes. They will start to say yes if you respect their no. Um... And so in related in relationship to riding and competition goals and riding goals and us enjoying riding and wanting to ride more, trust me, I love riding. I love going on trail rides. I love, I would like to get back to competition one day. I want to try competing in Western dressage and ranch riding and some other stuff. I, one of my dreams is to do eventing. I, for you guys that don't know, I'm long time hunter jumper competitor and dressage competitor at, um, state levels and was going bigger but that's a whole nother story um I I miss that sometimes but I just I I value my relationship with my horse more than I miss the competition world and honestly I don't even miss it that much as much as I thought I would um I think I do love riding though and I I ride all the time not as much as maybe you think um a professional rider or trainer, I should say, a professional trainer rides uh, where they get on and they ride like 10 to 20 horses a day. I don't ride that much because I value a lot of groundwork. I value um, 
I do, well, I should say I, one of my big focuses, my priorities is on, um, he's on, uh, behavioral modification and, and trauma work and all that. So a lot of what I do isn't centered around riding for that purpose, not because the horses are choosing not to be ridden and stuff like that. I just, I, I really find a lot of joy in doing that other work. So that's what I focus my time on. But, um, yeah, so kind of to sum this all up, to wrap it all up, um, riding is possible. Riding is absolutely achievable with positive reinforcement. Um, it's something that just looks different. It takes different, it takes time to build up to, you know, I guess I probably should have done it better. You know, I'll go back, I'll go back really quick and compare that process with negative reinforcement, the one that I used with positive reinforcement, the walk on and then the trot and all that. So if you have, um, so if you're teaching, like I said, the young horse to walk under saddle and you already have the verbal cue and you say walk on and the horse walks on and then you eventually work up to be able to give another cue, like a turn cue or a stop cue even, um, then and then you build up to the point where you're not clicking and reinforcing every little step. As soon as five steps, as soon as six steps, and then it's, you know, a walk on, then a turn, and then a stop. You know, you're building up. This same process happens with negative reinforcement, traditional training. I just don't even think we realize it's happening as clearly. It's just a little bit more obvious when you're stopping and giving the horse food, I, I think. Or I, I don't think I know. So when we're training a young horse the patient correct way um you know we we apply a little leg pressure right so we squeeze our legs a little bit and the horse kind of takes a step forward and we release the pressure off of their side so we take our legs off so that was the click that was the replacement for the click and the reinforcement it was taking the leg off then we go okay now we want a f- two steps so they take two steps we take the leg off then it's three steps we take the leg off it's four steps then we take the leg off then it's you know five steps or, um, I guess, yeah, so that, that's kind of, if you were going to train the leg cues that way, but what if you were to train the leg cues where you cued the walk on, the horse was just supposed to keep walking on until you took the leg off, you would put the leg cue on, the horse would start walking forward, you would take the leg cue off and they would keep walking forward, but then you would do something else, which is that you would pull back on the reins gently until and, and the horse would kind of feel it and at first they would kind of be like what are you doing and then you would then they would kind of start to slow their feet and at that point maybe you would release the rain pressure um or you would uh my brain is getting all kinds of mixed up <laughs> you i've been so long since i've trained these particular behaviors with traditional training uh that i'm trying to even remember like it just it doesn't seem as straightforward to me as it did at the time I don't know. It's just my brain is is wired on to positive reinforcement training now, I guess. So I'm like, what what what's even happening? Like, why would this make sense to a horse? I'm trying to think through it again logically um, because it's been so long since I've done it this way. It just seems way more logical and straightforward with positive reinforcement now that I understand that process. But, okay, so you pull back on the reins and then the horse comes to a stop and you release the pressure, right? So it's that's the replacement for the click and the reinforcement. Um obviously it's not a clean replacement because you're actually teaching the cues in the moment 
and the horse is learning to find the release from pressure so they feel the cue the cue the pressure they're you know interchangeable so they feel that they feel the cue they feel the pressure and they're like okay what does this mean what does this mean and they start looking for the answer they start trying different things until they happen upon the right answer which would be in this case coming to a stop and then they get relief from the cue aka the pressure and they know that was the answer when they feel pressure on their mouth again they need to come to a stop so with positive reinforcement you would first shape that behavior independently you would um, you would you could do different processes. You could use a target to um, teach the horse to follow the target. So they would, you know, first look at the target, click and reinforce, then they would step towards the target, click and reinforce, and you would build up, right, to where they're following the target for multiple steps, click and reinforce. Now we have to teach them to come to a stop when they see the target starting to slow down. And um, so you would start to slow it down, they slow down, click and reinforce, then you slow it down some more, they slow down more, click and reinforce, then you go back and do that again, and this time you bring it all the way to a stop, and their feet come to a stop, click and reinforce. Okay, now you've taught your horse to come to a stop with the target, fantastic. We've taught our horse to come to a stop with the target, so now we can start to associate a verbal cue. I, I like to use the verbal cues because I can transfer them to the saddle really easily, but without the verbal cue, we could do the same thing. It would just need two people, but I'm gonna go through um, the, this middle cue, which is the verbal cue. So now we would have our target, they're following the target, and we'd start to, we'd say, whoa, let's say that's our verbal cue, or halt, or whatever, so we'll say whoa, so we cue whoa, and they don't know what whoa means yet, but then right then, or right after you say whoa, like within a, you know, a millisecond, you spring the target to a stop, and they come to a stop, and you click and reinforce. And you do this process over and over and over again until they start to hear whoa, and start to slow down their feet on their own because they know the target's about to come to a stop and you would click and reinforce that. And before you know it, you're not using the target anymore to bring them to a stop. And you can just say, whoa, and they will come to a stop and you click and reinforce that. So you've just taken out the middle part, right? We'd use the same process later um, with transitioning out the verbal cue to the under saddle tactile cues, which would be, um, which would be, so we would be on the horse's back and we would say whoa and then we would gently pick up on the reins and or sorry take that back that was reverse so you would first pick up on the reins gently just like very gently just so they can feel it and then you would say whoa and they'd come to a stop click and reinforce and you do that process over and over and over again you pick up the reins say whoa they come to a stop click and reinforce before you know it they feel the reins being picked up on and they start to come to a stop because they know the whoa is about to come so they might as well come to a stop and get their click and reinforcement faster and before you know it you're not having to say whoa anymore and you've now got a tactile rein cue which is if I pick up on the reins um, that they come to a stop and now I don't need to say whoa anymore. So this is how we create those similar traditional riding cues with positive reinforcement. And then we can start to piece all of those together too. So we can have pick up on the reins, um, they come to a stop. And if we pick up on the reins while they're at the stop, maybe it means go backwards. I mean, you can do whatever you want. You can create all, it doesn't matter what 
you could say bananas and teach them to come to a stop. It really doesn't matter. It doesn't have to look like traditional cues. You don't even have to use reins. You could just teach it all at liberty. Um, you could teach it with a neck rope. You could teach it with a double tap on the side of the shoulder. It doesn't matter what the cue is. This is the beautiful thing about positive reinforcement. It doesn't matter what the cue is. It only matters that the behavior is consistent and the process is consistent of associating that cue. Whereas with traditional training, it very much has to be um, from the beginning to a certain extent. You can transfer things later, but to a certain extent, the beginning process, the beginning of the training of the behavior integrates the cue that you're later going to use. You start off with pulling back on the reins or picking up on the reins and teaching the horse to come to a stop and then later on it's just they start to feel the reins being picked up on and they just know if they come to a stop right now that that you won't pull harder back on the reins that they should that they can respond faster right now and the release will come faster and that's how we get soft and sensitive and in responsive cues um, so the positive reinforcement process is just different it just looks different the way it is the way the process of teaching the cue is different it's taught through seeking out an appetitive versus avoiding an aversive. Um, but so that learning process can be challenging to wrap your head around it in the beginning. And it can seem like it's not possible to ride with stopping that much. Or how would you ever teach something without applying pressure? Like how is riding possible without pressure and release like how can you possibly ride without that um, and and tactile cues are different with positive reinforcement than the negative reinforcement trains tactile cues because of the way they are so way they are processed in the brain that doesn't mean that the horse doesn't ever feel contact on their skin or on their face or whatever it just means that the way that that information was wired in their brain is different. So it is not a pressure and release process. It is a tactile cue taught through positive reinforcement. So um, without giving you, <laughs> I feel like I gave an entire like dissertation on writing with positive reinforcement. I'm sure this will lead to more questions and more wanting more information and like how do I go about teaching all these things? Like what about this cue? What about that cue? What about if I want to teach my horse to trail ride? What if I have a crossover horse, a horse that was originally trained this way but now I want to train it that way? Like there's so many other factors involved here and this is, you know, there's only so much information I can put into a, we're now at the 44, no 46 minute mark. Um, also, um, yeah, so, and, and there's just needs to be visual examples and stuff like that. So I'm going to leave this episode here and hopefully this will have at least given you some ideas of how it's possible and how it's just requires a different process, but it's absolutely possible. It just requires the handler, the trainer, the caregiver to be experienced and to learn a new process. And it's not necessarily going to be as easy as, oh, I just start clicking and reinforcing now. Um, there's more to it than that. It's a different process. It's a different way of going about teaching those cues. And, um, and it, it just requires looking at it a little bit differently. But if 100% is possible, you can ride with positive reinforcement. It's um, a lot of fun. It's so much fun, especially knowing that your horse really wants to be there and they really want to engage with you and offer those behaviors to you. Uh, and that they're not just doing it because they have to. So 
if you want to learn more, if you have more questions, I do provide consultations um, via my website at thewillingequine.com forward slash services. I'd be happy to talk through anything and offer assistance in any way I can. But to get a more thorough education on this and start preparing that foundation so that you can ride with positive reinforcement, my best recommendation to you is to join my foundation course, which opens up for enrollment every three-ish months. There's usually a break over the holidays um, on, in the winter. But that is going, that's the beginning. That's the beginning. You have to learn how to utilize positive reinforcement. You have to learn how to establish this reinforcement behaviors. You have to learn how to establish default behaviors. You have to learn how to teach targeting. You have to learn how to teach verbal cues. You have to learn about stimulus control. You have to learn about all these other factors. Um, and in my foundation course, I teach you about all these without it being overwhelming and with, and with it being a very step-by-step -step process that is empowering and also doesn't get you bogged down into the like nuanced little details or take you down like this whole, um, it, it's not, anyway, it's not emotional fluff and like all of this stuff. It's very practical. It's a very practical application approach. It's very much, um, let's get to the training. Let me show you what it is you need to know. And then I want you to go out there and train your horse. And then you have the guidance from me as well through each of the months. We have, um, a review process where you send in videos and I help coach you through that. And there's also live Q and A's. And then from there you get invited into my membership group where we go even deeper into all this. And I have all my tutorials about um, riding and preparing for under saddle work. And I have other courses that are only available to my members. Um, so if that's something you're interested in, you can find more information on my website, thewillingequine.com forward slash foundation. Um, it, at the time of this recording, the next enrollment is gonna be January, 2021. Um, so if you just want to start preparing for that and do lots of research ahead of time, that would be awesome. And I would love to see you in that course, but that's a really good place to start. There are also other resources, amazing resources out there. I'm not the only resource for this, uh, but I hope that this episode was helpful and at least gave you some information as to how it is possible, even if it doesn't all fully explain everything or completely alleviate all confusion maybe it'll at least let you know that there that it's possible and you can start this process and you can absolutely achieve riding and enjoying riding with your horse with positive reinforcement so it's not just one or the other it can be done together Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to find out more, head to my website, thewillingequine.com. On there, I have a really extensive blog. I'm a very prolific writer. And I also have a an FAQ page. And the FAQ has all kinds of things. It has questions and answers about training and about my training specifically, as well as just general about working with positive reinforcement. There's also sections on there about health and um, behavior, so all of that. I'm also on a lot of different social media platforms, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook. So check those out and I'd love to hear from you. So don't hesitate to email or send me a message.